Welcome to the Doomsday Bunker Podcast. Your weekly program will be discussing topics such as conspiracy theories, movie theories, and disaster situations. So make sure you're secure in your bunker, and let's start the show. Welcome to the Doomsday Bunker Podcast. My name is Joseph and I am the host of this podcast. Each and every week we discuss topics such as conspiracy theories, movie theories, and disaster situations. And today's episode is about the movie 2012 slash the movie Greenland. And if you're enjoying the podcast so far, please give it a follow and like on any platform you're listening to. And share with your friends and family because they might not have found the podcast yet. But without further ado, let's start the episode. As I said at the beginning, this episode is going to be about the movie 2012 and Greenland. Now, what we'll be covering in this episode is, once again, the likelihood of how we would survive or if we would survive, how the government plays a role in these movies and if it were to happen in real life, and also a little bit about what happens in the movies to tie into if it were to happen in real life. So, unfortunately, if you haven't seen the movie 2012 or Greenland, I'm just letting you know now, there may be a few spoilers about the movie. So, we'll start with the movie 2012. Now, for those who aren't aware, um, I believe that 2012 was loosely based on, or at least the concept came from, the actual events of people thinking that 2012 was going to be the last year of Earth and our population in general. And what I mean by that is 2012 was the last year in which the Mayans had planned out their calendar. And so people thought at the end of that calendar, there was going to be a big catastrophe of some sort that would either wipe out the population of the human race, much like the dinosaurs, or just the Earth in general. Which is pretty clear that it didn't happen, obviously, because you are listening to this podcast in 2022. But a lot of these events have happened throughout my lifetime and quite a few people's lifetimes, starting with Y2K. Everybody thought at the turn of the century that all electronics would fail and it would kind of toss us back into a technology-less era. And that's just one of the situations, like I said, there is Y2K, there's 2012, where they thought that at the end of the calendar year that a catastrophe would happen. A lot of the time, you can probably find somebody or an article or something telling you that the world will end at this time or within five years. And I really believe that that's why some of these disaster movies were made, either as a joke to play off of somebody saying something about it ending at this time or a real life like 2012 catastrophe that everybody's afraid of. And so they make a movie off of it. And if you really look at the line of disaster movies, there are quite a few from different eras like Men in Black with the alien catastrophe that everybody thought was going to happen, or 2012, Day After Tomorrow, Independence Day, all things that really deal with the Earth ending in some kind of way. There's been Moonfall recently about the moon and how it's not really a planet, it's more of a megastructure. There are various disaster movies, and so I picked two of the ones that I've recently seen and also like very much, and we'll start with 2012. So 2012 is a movie about how the world was going to end in 2012. There are earthquakes and giant tidal waves that come and end up 
flooding most of the world. The earthquakes really break up California along that San Andreas line, and then Yellowstone erupts with volcanoes. And once again, it's down to a few group of people either trying to survive and save their families or try to get to a bunker. And so when we really break it down, we'll start with the military. Now, the military's role in most of these movies is either trying to get the president somewhere safe and all of his cabinet members. Maybe sometimes it's to try and grab as many important people, such as doctors and architects, scientists, anything that really helps rebuild civilization that was lost during the catastrophe. So really it comes down to your job or what you know how to do and how important that is to the government to rebuild their society. On top of that, a lot of the time, unfortunately, the government doesn't actually make it and or the military doesn't know the real scope of what the catastrophe would be or they're trying to move these people and they're not moving fast enough to where somehow they end up getting killed or their plans get derailed because of another catastrophe they didn't know was coming, they weren't prepared for. And so the government, in my opinion, in these movies, they play a big role because obviously once society is rebuilt, you would think that you'd need a government, but most of the government officials really don't make it, especially in 2012. Again, spoiler alerts going forward. The movie's main character is, is a man called Jackson Curtis, who is a father of two kids and divorced from his wife who had remarried. And the plot of the movie is just him, after finding out about the catastrophes that were coming, just trying to get his family to the boats that the government had built because the tidal waves are coming and there's going to be a big flood. And this is really the part where I want to talk about the realistic version of trying to live or trying to survive through this whole catastrophe versus how they do it in 2012. Now, in the movie, they live in California. So when that first earthquake comes through and just breaks up most of California, like I said, right there on that San Andreas fault line, you see that the characters, the mom and the guy that she remarried, you see that they're in this grocery store as the earth pretty much splits apart and they're on either side of the split. As they continue to get out of the store, they're able to get back to their home. They call the dad. The dad brings the kids and then they all try to get on a plane to the bunkers and the boats, as I explained. Now, the problem with this is if we're actually thinking about this realistically, that fault line, when it cracks open the earth, a lot of people are going to fall in, one, if you're on where the crack is opening. Secondly, just trying to get out of there in general because, one, there's going to be a lot of traffic. There's going to be a lot of people panicking, trying to get out of the town or try to get out of the state in general. And so they're going to be driving like they've never driven before. There's going to be plenty of car accidents or if you're trying to run into your house and get the kids or whatever and you lose control of the car, the car could go careening into your house or into you on the sidewalk. So there's that aspect of it. But also, if the earth has already cracked that much, you don't know when the next earthquake is going to come. And depending on what part of the earth that had cracked and where you live, you won't be able to get over that with your car. And so either you're walking on foot or you're just not getting out of there in general because, again, of the road situation. Now, as they continue, the dad picks up the mom, the kids, and the stepdad, and they all get into his limo, and they start driving, and obviously, it's a big cinematic scene where they're going past cars, and cars are 
dropping off the bridges and they're just barely missing them. The earth's cracking and they're able to get through buildings that are falling. Realistically, obviously, that's not going to happen. None of that is going to happen for you. Even if you're driving at 100 miles an hour, something's going to fall. You're not going to make it through like those guys did. And so once again, that's another problem. But moving on is say you're not in California and you live either in the Midwest or somewhere away from the coast to where that fault line isn't going to really be a problem. The second part of the movie, like I said, was they make it to Yellowstone by plane to refuel. But like I said, Yellowstone explodes by the earth heating up slash turning into a volcano right there because the earth gets so hot. And as you watch the movie, they get in the plane, they're able to take off the smoke from the volcano and all of the hot molting lava that's shooting out of there is coming towards them and they end up flying out of there and if we start analyzing this and thinking about this realistically versus cinematically you could survive depending on where you are in relation to yellowstone or the volcanoes erupting because again if you live far enough in the midwest or even further east you'll be fine on that aspect but if you live in the general area of Yellowstone or within maybe a 50-mile radius of those volcanoes, you might not get hit by the molten lava right away, but all that ash and all that dirt from the ground erupting is definitely going to be a problem either breathing or trying to get out of there by car, by foot, by plane. Like I said, it was very cinematic how they were able to get out of there, but realistically, it's probably not going to happen for us. And also, just a little side thing, I'm not a scientist, and you can't believe everything that you read on the internet, but there has been talks about the geysers in Yellowstone erupting sometime and could possibly wipe out the area in which Yellowstone is. Again, just throwing it in there because we are talking about a disaster movie in Yellowstone, not saying that it's going to happen anytime soon, nor do I know if it's a fact thing that will happen eventually. We just know that the Earth is heating up. And those geysers already shoot hot water because they are coming from the middle of the earth. So it's a possibility. But another thing that I wanted to bring up from the movie that doesn't really address it, because again, we're following these characters. They are trying to get to a certain area. Everybody that's left behind is just kind of dead or left behind. They don't really go into any of the details of what could happen. But with Yellowstone erupting like that in the movie... If that happened in real life, we're looking at a Pompeii situation. So if you didn't die initially from the blast or from the molten lava or all the dust, you're looking at ash that could potentially be, again, harmful to breathing, harmful to covering up the sun to where it could be a situation where the ash blocks out most of the sun's heat that comes to Earth. And we could be looking at a much colder environment, a much colder climate. I just wanted to put that in there because, again, when you think about it, you got to think about all aspects. And the movie doesn't really cover that. It shows a lot of things and a lot of people getting covered in ash, especially later on in the movie. But they just don't really show or seem all that concerned when it comes to what that ash and what's left after the volcano erupts what dangers that could lead to afterwards once the immediate threat is over. 
But moving into the next part of the movie, the next situation that they face is tidal waves. And that's kind of the biggest concern that they have because, again, once they get to one side of the United States and of the world in general, they built these boats so that they can continue to live in these boats slash bunker type deals and live on the water while everything either calms down or they can figure out how to build life just from this boat. And that's how they're going to live the rest of their lives or maybe until they can figure out how the Earth's going to survive and thrive after pretty much a reset of everything on the Earth. And this, unfortunately, is already a concern for some parts of the world, not at cataclysmic levels, but we do have tsunamis. And when you ask people what their most recent memory of a big tsunami that just destroyed or decimated something, they remember that the tsunami in 2011 that hit Japan, which was an unfortunate thing and they're still recovering from. So in that aspect, we still got disasters that are happening now, but just in the movie and maybe in the future, it'll be ramped up to cataclysmic sizes. Now, I have always thought that I wanted to move to California ever since I was a little kid. And my dad would always tell me that I don't need to move there because eventually California will just fall into the ocean. Now, if a tsunami hit from the West Coast, one, that would be devastating, obviously, and also that water would reach very far inland. So if a cataclysmic tsunami were to hit, say, California after that earthquake had already happened, like in the movie, anybody that's left in California is gone or is done. Because one, you can't outrun a tsunami Two, if you were far enough, you need to get even further. Because like I said, that water at such height with what we have already will reach far enough inland that if you're not far enough, it'll hit you. But at cataclysmic levels, you're looking at it might be able to take out half of the United States. So that on top of an earthquake, you're not really surviving if you live that far west coast. Now in the movie, a lot of... Tsunamis are coming at the United States from all different directions. You see one hit California, like I said, that was already decimated by the earthquake. You see one come in at Washington. He ends up taking out much of the area and also, unfortunately, the people and the president. And so the guys that have built the boat and are on the boat are now making the call to just leave, leave anybody that's left because they're trying to save themselves. Which brings us to the topic of boats. And if there was a cataclysmic tsunami or maybe an ice age, would there be anything that we could build that would help us sustain life, either live on that boat for the rest of our lives and try and recreate humanity or be able to live long enough on that boat to either live out what could possibly be the next 50 years of the Earth trying to get back to normal or quote-unquote normal, what the new normal is going to be, or figure out a plan on how to get rid of the water, try and rebuild civilization on some part that either might not have been decimated so much or find an area in which you could clean up all of the debris and all of everything that has happened and rebuild from there. Me personally... I feel like living on the boat for the rest of our lives is probably going to be the better option 
but I'm not necessarily believing in either one of them. And here's why. Because with a cataclysmic event like this, obviously it's called the world ending for a reason. It's not the world is just going to get wiped down, cleaned up a little bit, and then we can move back in there. That's not how that works. So there wouldn't be really sustainable life anywhere for us to build up and restart. And so living on the boat would probably be our best option. But on top of that, the other problem with just living on the boat is, say you're able to get the president and all of his cabinet members, you know, the big important government people, but then also there are billions and billions of people that live on the earth. So if you handpick every architect or scientist or chef or doctor, important things that you think that you will need to rebuild civilization, there's still quite a lot of people on these boats. So you got to have food, provisions, water, everything to sustain these people. And I just don't think that's viable, especially if you have to continue to live on this boat for the rest of your life. Now, I'm not saying that that's not possible because people and the government have been making bunkers since back in the 50s during the Cold War. So maybe they got tons of food and non-perishable foods in these bunkers or in these boats to sustain that much life. And if that's the case, then we might be onto something. But nine times out of ten, I don't really believe that we could either get to that food that would be in the bunkers or the storage, or we would have enough food to live on this boat, let alone try and figure out how we're going to live, really. Because again, this boat's only so big, people are going to get restless. Maybe there's going to be some kind of uprising because they don't like how you're dealing with policy and policing people that may be criminals or maybe you know just have ill intentions towards other people and eventually people are just going to start killing other people and then you really just have the same problem so living on the boat even if you have enough food i don't think will be sustainable for people because we're creatures that need to move and even if these boats are 200 300 miles long there still wouldn't be enough room, I don't think, for all of these people that have to come. So last part of the movie, obviously, because again, it's cinematic. You got to give the people a good feeling after watching that whole catastrophe happen and devastation. So they make it at the end. They make it onto the boat. And the last couple scenes of the movie is they're opening up the doors as they are floating on the water. They open up the doors so the people can come outside a little bit breathe in fresh air, and then just see kind of what's left of the earth, and that's where they leave it. And like I said, they don't really explain, obviously, because they're leaving it at that, of what would be the next plan. And that's kind of the last main point I want to talk about on this episode of the podcast, because unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get to the movie Greenland and that whole situation, but we'll make a part two for that to be on the next episode. But really... This last part I want to talk about is, like I said, what could happen if the world stays viable? Because when when an asteroid hit and wiped out all the dinosaurs, it didn't wipe out every living thing on the Earth. Some things made it. And so if we're looking at this optimistically, we get on the boat, we make it, the government has protected us this far, now what do we do but rebuild civilization? What I think the first steps would be is to start to see what resources are left on Earth without getting off the boat. Like I said, if we stay on the boat, but we're able to 
replenish our food and water that's not tainted by either radiation from all the buildings that may have crumbled or whatever to being able to drink it aside from all the ash and stuff that could have mixed with the water because the tsunami hit. If we could still fish and get drinking water from the water we are floating on, there is still a chance that we could end up rebuilding civilization eventually. Like I said, it'll probably be a few years, and it might even be the next generation. We might live on that boat for the rest of our lives and just teach our kids the main core essentials of fishing, getting water, staying alive, and being smart about the situation around us. Then maybe when the time has come, they'll be able to go out and really survey the areas and see what is sustainable, what isn't, what we can use, and what is just pretty much a lost cause. Because at this point, we can pretty much safely say that any cars, any technology of any kind that has made our lives easier throughout these last couple of years is not going to be viable anymore. Not cell phones, all the towers are down, not really even electricity. What electricity we have will be on the boat which would be coming from either generators or maybe at that point you build solar panels to use the sun as energy and save those generators just in case you need them on rainy days. Or again, if you run into the problem of the ash is blocking out most of the sun and then you have to adapt to a different kind of climate. But say you do find a sustainable island or some part of a continent that was devastated but it's still able to be rebuilt and cultivated for crops and stuff society and life going forward is not going to be the same as it was in 2011 in this case of the movie because again we don't have any of those tools we're back to using our hands maybe crafting some tools but it's not going to be like we can have an animal pull this tractor or pull this plow through the field it's probably going to be you tie three sharp rocks that you found on the beach or whatever sharp that has washed up onto the land you tie it to a stick and you drag that through the dirt and that's how you're going to be able to plant those plants which is why unfortunately i feel like we can't really sustain ourselves with the lifestyle that we have right now because every day whether it's your cell phone or whether you're driving Life has gotten so dependent on technology that we still may know how to hunt and do the basic things. But if we're without power, if we're without any kind of electricity or electronics, it's going to be hard, if not nearly impossible, for some people that have not grown up with that kind of lifestyle of you're out in the field working hard without any kind of electricity or electronics, I should say, that help everyday lives. It's going to be harder because... What are you going to do when you don't really know how to do the bare essentials of cultivating or having a garden or even really just the motor skills of, okay, now we got to build this hut out of leaves and sticks that we find. I'm not saying that it can't be done because once again, we are animals, if not one of the creatures here on earth that can adapt just like anything else, but it would be very hard and I feel like living on the boat, unfortunately, will be the best option. Who knows? Again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in the future, that's how you raise the kids is to make sure that they have a plan just in case this happens. But just to recap a little bit, in my opinion, it really depends on where you live, how many family members you have, and the resources you have to get as far away from whatever natural disaster is happening 
as possible and try to get somewhere safe or again manage to find a bunker or something but that's just my opinion i know we as humans when our backs are against the wall we come up with more resources and more will to live pretty much where we'll come up with anything that we can to get our families to safety but that will be the end of this episode if you really like the plot synopsis that I gave a little bit about 2012, I do highly recommend the movie. It is a good disaster movie. Like I said, there's some plot holes and there's some stuff that they don't really clarify, which I would appreciate it. But like I said, overall entertainment value is a good movie. And if you liked this episode, please give a listen to any of the other episodes that I have, just in case you haven't. And make sure you share with your friends and family and maybe give us a rating on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. But I hope you guys have a great day. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. If you like what you heard, come back next week for another episode as we post a new episode every Thursday. Every Thursday. Until then, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.